morning, afternoon, whatever time it is in whatever place of the world you're in. Welcome back to another episode of Disobedient Women. I do have to give you your disclaimer. This live stream may discuss trauma of all sorts to include all types of abuse. Viewers and listeners may find it unsettling and triggering. The guests on our live stream reflect a diverse set of values, morals, and ethics that may not always reflect the morals, values, and ethics of the misfit Amish. If this live stream causes you distress, please seek support from your trusted folks and qualified mental health professionals as needed. Also, if this live stream causes you distress, please stop listening until you're in a better place and able to listen again. With that being said, I'd like to welcome Crystal to our stream. So, Crystal reached out to me um, recently and started talking about her journey from being, correct me if I'm wrong, you were a plain Mennonite? Yes, I was a conservative Mennonite, what they called the Fellowship Mennonites. What's a fellowship Mennonite? It's this specific brand of Mennonite. Because <laughs> there's some, there's the Mennonites, but then there's brands of Mennonites, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean... You, like would, you, you would have to come from the, from the Mennonites, I think, to know specifically what fellowship means. And I'm not sure how to explain it because I don't think I understood it. Okay. So, like... I guess, like, um, I'm wondering if that's, like, the same type of, like, is it, like, nationwide fellowship? Or, like, is it, like, the same thing as that? Because I recently, like, read a book called um, Building from Dust and Ashes that is about, like, Old Order Mennonite culture a little bit and um, nationwide fellowship Mennonites, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my, my, my parents came from, like, the Old Order Mennonites and, and pretty much went to the nationwide fellowship night or whatever. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. So you were a nationwide fellowship Mennonite. Shall we show a picture of this? We got pictures. Yes, please, please. Let's, let's go here. So like, I found it very interesting because she shared these pictures and there's such a, a vast difference. And then there's this one and I'm just like, oh my God, like that's like a whole different person. So how did you get from point A to point B? Um, I, I think you're right saying that, saying that it is a whole different person. Because point A would have never seen point point B for me in the future. When I when I when I was in those pictures on the left hand side, I couldn't have possibly imagined that I would be here today. But I couldn't be happier that I made those difficult decisions to to pursue my own happiness versus doing things to make other people happy okay but how did you get there like so you were obviously in a conservative Mennonite environment so how did you get there like what did you learn in your Mennonite environment growing up um there there was a lot of values that I do still value such as like working hard and, and not complaining about your work and taking responsibility and all of that, that I did, like I do carry forward today. Um, but there was also other things like learning that there's, there's, um, let's say consequences for 
for doing things that aren't wrong. Because I, I would always have these questions like, why can't I wear, you know, white socks instead of black socks, for example. White socks are only for men. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm just asking. Yes. Are is that was that a thing? No, huh? I'm trying. No, I'm trying to think. I think I think they kept men's socks black actually too. Wow. Yeah. Just wow. Like okay, so like all black socks. Okay, got it. Black. Black socks is one of the strangest things that I still like. People want to know what it's like to to live in a cult. And, I, and I'm and i just like, I mean, you're directed down to the socks you wear. Can I, can I share one other interesting thing that I learned? Sure. As a Mennonite. Uh -huh. Apparently elbows are sexual. <laughs> like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my. You should... Let you should just cast out that eyes, right? Like, <laughs> my bad. No, no, no. I had to pull my sleeves down. My sleeves were up too far. <laughs> yeah. You were, um, yeah. Yeah. I was that's... pushing boundaries there. Like, seducing people with my little, elbows. A little, little far. Just a smidge far. Just too far. Yeah, I mean, to be you shown. know, like even just this collar, this is just a little far. Like for us, like that the part. collar had to be like up here. Like you had to be practically choking on your collar. I tend to forget about making them, making our own clothing and stuff like that. But that's that's true. How far away is your collar from your neck? Like, is it too wide or, are, you know, your sleeves long enough? Is the is the length of the skirt long enough? Like. Uh -huh. I do remember. I do remember the head covering thing, though. That in particular had rules too. Uh -huh. There was rules about that and how large they should be, and the placement on the head, and how visible they should be. Uh huh. Mm hmm. So, you said something interesting when we had had a conversation yesterday, and we were talking about this having this live stream but one of the things you were talking about is being conditioned to think that we have to protect people that abuse us do you want to expand on that today yeah, or is that something we should steer away from i'm no i'm certainly open to talking about that because i think that that's one of the traumas that i carry forward even though I feel like a brand new person, like a wholly different person than I was back in the day is, is like when, when we get into relationships out, out in the world, like normal relationships, and we realize that, I mean, I guess even in, in the cult, because I, I was married, I did have a husband in the cult and, and things were not great there. So it was dealt with silence. It was, it was, you know, you taught to swallow that and, and not share that with anybody because of, and just carry, carry that shame of, of being, you know, in a place where you, you're helpless. Are you saying you felt shame because you felt like it was your fault that you were being treated that way? I'm saying shame, I think, because, because of the wider community, because for example, when I left, like, I know, like, the ministry of my ex-husband's church 
was reaching out to him and and you know making it an issue and calling it a crisis and i know like it would have been announced at church that you know um crystal left her husband and and is openly gay would have been a huge thing and that was just something i struggled with for for about a year and a half before i finally grew the courage to to chase my own happiness essentially so where was the community's com uh, compassion and, and empathy for you oh there was none no no one reached out like to this to this day um no one's ever said a thing honestly the only person i've ever talked to after after you know moving out of my ex-husband's house was was my ex-husband so that we could sign the divorce papers that sounds like with a decision to choose to live a life that's more actually authentically you you had to basically choose between having your community of origin and even your family of origin. And either you have that and you live a lie and you live a, a lie in your relationships with people or you get to move out and you lose all of that community. You lose every custom, you lose everything that you are, you are familiar with to become who you are is that about accurate that's that sounds so accurate and I, and I think that's why it took me so long to to finally say that i'm i'm worth you know i'm worth my own happiness like i i was terrified and i look back at it now and i and i realize you know i mean i did lose my entire community and um i was scared to lose my entire family and it's not particularly accepted with the majority of them. Mm -hmm. um, but I haven't been shunned, for example. Mm -hmm. Like they, they'll talk to me and stuff like that, but um, relationships instantly changed. Into a whole other thing. And just, yeah, into treating me like a, like a sinner, like a tainted person. Like now that you've come out and that you're living more authentically, now you're kind of like touched by a bad, bad thing. Like there's darkness in you. Yeah, there's a lot that's carried from that. Yeah. Woo. That sounds pretty fucking traumatic. So how do you cope with that? Um, I, I've. I started going to school for psychology because I wanted to understand the pain inside mm -hmm. of me. I wanted to understand the behaviors of other people. I wanted to, I wanted it to make sense. And so I um, basically went to school to fix myself, kind of. And I've been in therapy for a lot of years. I'm, I'm currently should be seeking out therapy again. Like, um it it comes in waves some sometimes you know you're dandy and the next times you're just not it's always that way when you live in the aftermath of trauma 
yeah. I think for many people, especially it's like when we have such so many layers of trauma, like it just really um, can come in waves for a lot of people. Uh, I mean, I, I go Sorry, ahead. Nice, <laughs> your space. Um, I guess I was saying, I think that's, that's the thing is like, I don't think we honestly realize it's trauma at first sometimes, like, for example, protecting our, our abusers, like, out, you know, after I left the cult and I, I had some, like a few relationships, but I ended up getting into a really, really bad relationship. And, and I pretended like everything was okay, but the nights would end with screaming and yelling and fistfights and, and breaking things and, and outrageous behavior and awful words. And, and I would wake up the next morning and go to work and pretend everything's okay. I went to work with black eye one time and, and my coworkers said, Hey, do we need to beat somebody up? And I said, no, I got it. It's under control. And I didn't talk about who it was. And that's the thing that I just think that at that point, I wasn't aware that I was just protecting my abuser. Like, I thought that's this thing you do. You ride, you ride out, you know, things that you don't deserve, such as being hit and being yelled at and all of that in silence and and maybe it ends like i didn't i didn't realize until after i did that relationship twice that that actually i don't like this is this is deep-seated like i don't need to protect my abuser and that's not fair to me that's robbing me so the i guess like the other part of that is is like it's it's not as simple as just walking away from abusers. Like as we all, um, I don't know if you saw it or not, but the movie Women Talking, which by the way, really is a fantasy. It is fictional. It is not in any way, shape or form based on like fact. And and I say this because like, yes, in an ideal world, like people could just walk away. And maybe I shouldn't say it's not in any way, shape or form. Maybe I should say that this part of it is really, really awful to me. There's this idea of like, it shows these women, one, they're endlessly sitting around and talking and recording details of their abuse is that really realistic for somebody living in a domestic violence situation or in an intimate partnered violence situation? Like, is that really realistic? Can we just walk out? We, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you're lucky if you get to record in this, in a, in a situation of domestic violence, it, you're lucky to have your phone to be able to, to potentially call help if you need to right but you're not you're not there's no leaving there's no leaving right 
And as statistical data shows, like the most dangerous part for somebody in a domestic violence or an intimate partner, or maybe we should call it familial violence situation, because that's kind of what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In those types of situations, like the most dangerous time often is when the person tries to leave. Yep. And we know that. Yeah. So I I guess like for you, like what would you say, like what message do you think that movie sends to the world in, at large if it's showing these women just sitting around talking endlessly? Like that's. Well, I, I can't say I've seen the movie. So I, I can't say for sure what type of synopsis I would give. But hearing what what you said, that that isn't an accurate representation of how it goes. No. It's not. For me, that was like my takeaway is like, um, first Mm. off, this is fictional. This is fictional. It's sending Mm. out like inaccurate representations like about this, right? And yeah. And and to your point, the most most, um, dangerous time in a domestic violence situation is when you try to leave and and that certainly rings true for me too. Yeah. Essentially I was I was trying to get my ex to move out of my home and and they said that they weren't going to and they they had me like believing like a lot of lies that weren't even true because about like um real estate because they had helped me with my um getting my house and stuff like that getting me hooked up with right people and so they were telling me these types of lies well I can get your house taken away from you and all types of things like mental manipulation as well and then it boiled down to I I I told them we were that I was talking to somebody else and for a week straight um my ex uh wouldn't let me get any sleep like she was just yelling in my face like who is it who is it and then i i lay down for about two hours she'd come in banging pots and pans and tell me to get the fuck up because if she can't sleep neither guy and and it boiled down to um one night i was desperate and i put my phone on record and and i tried my best to get away from her but uh she took my keys and and a kitchen knife and chased me down and luckily i had it on video she ended up getting arrested and and you know had to move out with the help of cops because it was a domestic violence i mean a protection order and a and a what do they call it a criminal uh, stay away order yeah yeah so she yeah, 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 restraining order during the criminal case, and she had 15 minutes to collect her stuff and get get out of my home. Then, but I, I was kind enough that while she was like locked up, I like packed all of her things that I knew was important to her, put them in her car, so that the car could be driven away with all of her stuff, so that she could have most of her stuff in 15 minutes and wouldn't need to give up like everything. Mm-hmm. And I was kind enough to do that, but like I didn't need to do that. Like, I'm, part of me wonders why I did that. Because she didn't deserve that. Like, she literally chased me down with a knife and and 
and took my car keys so that I couldn't leave and all of this stuff. And yet after the fact, I'm, I'm here like, oh, well, let me do this for her yet. Yeah. Because the thing, I think the thing, and this may be true for you, it may not, but the thing for many people is, is abusers don't abuse us all the time. Yeah. And therefore, we have various memories of our abusers. It's not just the abuse. It's the time that they, when they go through like the honeymoon type of stage where they're like really, really, really extra nice to, to you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That part. And yeah. Then like, yeah. <laughs> the, the part, like that stuff like makes me feel like throwing up now, by the way. Yeah. Like just yeah. because it's so gross. It's so gross. Yeah. Very but much. it's like this thing of like, you know, we, we kind of feel like, you know, sometimes before we've like worked through all the, all of the trauma or even that specific part of the trauma, sometimes we feel like we, well, you know, five years ago, they did this for me. So I'm going to do this nice thing for them. Well, I don't wish them any ill will. Well, I don't want them to have a bad life. I just, just leave me alone. Right. Like, like yeah. we just want to have safety. Yeah, that's very familiar. Yeah, I thought it might be. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. so like I've been seeing like some of your posts on Facebook where you're like in a competition for um, some type of cover for Inked Magazine. Is that it? Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about the competition. So far, I've made it to the quarterfinals and it's the top. 1% of all models that competed this year. So I'm feeling the heat right now. Um, but it would be a dream. It would be to be on the cover of Inked Magazine. Yeah. To, so what? To, to show off my ink and simply have that, like, to me, it'd be a cool experience. Like, I'd be like, hey, I was like, 10 years later, I'd be like, hey, I was actually on the cover of Inked, like, you know, 10 years ago. And I would be like, that's cool as fuck. And, and you know, there's, there's also the bonus of getting tattooed by a celebrity tattoo artist, if, you know, for the winner. Oh, see, that would be cool. So what made you get oh. your first tattoo? Now, my first tattoo surprisingly was while I was still with my ex-husband. Um, <laughs> that was a good Mennonite woman. <laughs> oh, it was the worst. It was the worst. I didn't tell him I was getting it either. Um, he, you just he, did it? Yeah, yeah. So um, actually, my very first tattoo was a birthday gift from my sister Mary um, for my 23rd birthday. 23rd birthday and I said let's go big or go home and so I got a dragon on my foot right across my ankle a little bit up my thigh and I just thought it looked really badass especially when you wear heels I like how that tattoo shows off mm -hmm. sounds amazing and I hid the tattoo uh for a while from my parents as well uh, cause I, I had 
to well I left my ex-husband then short like a few months after I'd gotten it and I and I moved back to Pennsylvania so at that point I started hiding it from my parents when when um when I go around them mm-hmm. but I gave up and then I got face piercings and my my mom had a fit uh she would ask me to take them out every time I would come over. She'd say, you're welcome to come over, but take the metal out of your face. Um, obviously, I can't scrub the tattoos off, so she would tell me uh, to cover the tattoos. So you're supposed to be covered from head to toe? To be in their to be in their presence, I guess I was supposed to. At this point, at this point, that doesn't really happen anymore because what I would do is I would show up exactly as myself. And yeah. Did you find it exhausting to meet other people's expectations for your life and how you should conduct yourself? So exhausting. It yeah. even even after leaving my ex-husband for about six months I just I didn't I didn't fully come out of the closet I I you know tried to do what everybody expected me to do and after a while I was just like just this mishmash of like some of me is real and some of it's not is is exhausting I don't want to do that anymore I just want to be me I just want to be authentic I'm really glad that you got to do that to come out and like be authentic because like to me, I feel like that whole the pressure of living up to people's expectations can really kind of like weigh on you in a very big way and make you feel like so exhausted and depressed and like a fraud often. That's very much so. Yeah. So how do you get from all of that to like tattoos to like modeling? Um, the modeling thing was sort of a whim. Long, long time ago, I saw, saw like, well, actually I said long, long time ago, but my modeling only started about, about when I came to Florida, actually, because my interest was... Um, I had gone to an audition when I was in Pennsylvania and then I moved like three weeks later and they, and they called me back and they're like, we like you, we'd like to train you. Um, and I was in Florida at that point. So my, my modeling took off in Florida. I got a portfolio made and this was I'm trying to remember exactly why I got the portfolio made, but I had a whole website. (laughs) You don't remember why you got the portfolio made? I'm honestly like I remember doing it. I just don't remember why I reached out to them in the first place. I think I think it was an audition as well. I think it was an audition as well, but then it was basically. Um, kind of like a media company for models. So they made me a website and I had a portfolio. I had my comp card to like submit to agencies. And then they gave me like a list of agencies to submit to and, you know, a little bit of training on how to talk to, um, talent agents, 
and things like that. And, and, um, that was my first portfolio and I got signed, um, almost immediately after I, I, you know, paid for the portfolio because it, not only is it free, you got it, obviously you, you have to pay for your portfolio. You have to pay for your spot in, in certain times, or you have to pay to, to be, um, signed on contract at times. Mm-hmm. So I, I was signed, um, in to a talent agency in Orlando and was able to audition, but I never actually did, did much with that. And so I decided to go freelance and then I, then I did sign with another, um, promotional modeling agency, but those are pretty easy to get in. Honestly, it's just like people who, who hand out vodka samples in the, in the liquor store, stuff like that. You just supposed to look at, look, look hot and hand out alcohol. So in other words, sit still, look pretty. Yeah. <laughs> and give me my, give me my alcohol. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just took it from there. I stopped, I stopped going after agencies. I, I went freelance. I, I take the opportunities that I have with great photographers. Um, and and just keep building my portfolio in in hopes that I'm going to do more with it, such as being on Inked. Because now that I like, I couldn't I couldn't compete without having done the background freelance work of like having those nice photos of mm-hmm. me taken to be post to have them on my profile and stuff like that. So now I'm hoping it pays off. Like I I want the I want the the you know, fun photo shoots that I took the, just, just for the sake of taking photos to last forever. I want them to pay off now. Like I'm, I I have a goal now. I want to win the inked cover quite frankly. Well, so if you're listening to this, she has it listed on her Facebook, I think. And you can go vote for her photo to be, or for her to be on the cover if you want to every day. I would so appreciate it, certainly. And then, yes, it's on my uh, Facebook for sure. Yeah. And Instagram, if there's any Instagram followers out there. And you had a website, too. I did. That was only while... Um, it was only for the first year, honestly. Oh, okay. So after it was I only... that portfolio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like I said, they were kind of like this media company. And then if I would have wanted them to maintain my website, I would have had to pay, like, another, I don't know how much i think it was like 900 or something like that oh, to get my website it was it was kind of steep honestly and i've learned a lot of lessons like that too is because like there's so many scams in the industry people just want to get money to hook you up with somebody yeah yeah so so if you want to model you probably should look into scams is that what you're saying I would certainly say make yourself aware of of the scams out there because I've definitely gotten myself into sketchy situations with, you know, people who pretend to be photographers and they're just creepy dudes, you know? Yeah. So there's, there's so much to look out for. Yeah. That sounds like it for sure. So just be careful. And if, if your gut says something is off, don't do it. 
yeah. That's that's my advice. Just yes. No, that's great advice. That's exactly. I think that's pretty much advice I take anywhere in life. Quite frankly, if my, if my gut says it's wrong, it's probably wrong. Probably, even yeah. if we don't know why. And you know, when you don't listen to your gut and and you go ahead and do it any anyway, then later it's like, nah, I should listen myself. I should have just paid attention. Mm -hmm. I should have just like. Oh my God, I'm not dumb. I know things. I know things. Despite everything <laughs> in the world that has told me I don't know things, I know things. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so tell me what's your favorite art? Do you like art? I love art. And and I could potentially give you a favorite art form, except I'm kind of greedy. And so I'm like, I like it in, you know, painted canvas on the wall i like music i like models i like you know tv shows people who make 3d art arts art is so vital well and art is also so broad it encompasses so many varieties of different art forms like even modeling is an art um TV shows as an art, like there, there's just art forms in so many different ways. And even when you start talking about art to hang on the wall, you can have different mediums. You can like, yes, it's so it's it's not limited to one single box, and it has to be in this box. Yes, I love being outside of the box type of person. Yeah, me too. It's kind <laughs> of great. yeah, yeah. So, do you have a favorite song? It's I, I do have a favorite piece. It's it's Canon Indie, um, by uh, Johan Pacowell. I don't I don't know even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Quite frankly, but <laughs> <laughs> but this piece is for me. It's timeless. Um, I I discovered this song when I was still um when I was still a kid actually the composition I should say but um my brother had snuck a cd into the house that he was well not supposed to have <laughs> and and I was um struggling with mental health as as a child quite frankly and so every, like a lot, every day after school almost I would go to his his room and put the cd on in his cd player and fall asleep listening to that song because it soothed all the pain that I didn't understand why I was feeling. And and then I would wake up from that nap and go to downstairs to dinner with the family and, and have my evening. But I would I would have depression naps to that song when I was a kid and I had no idea what that was. And it's stood the test of time so today because like um I had it at my wedding and I don't dislike the song. I played at my wedding, like, and I, like, obviously don't, don't, like, I don't dislike my ex-husband, but I, um, you know, don't have great memories from that, but I still, I still like the song. That's a fantastic thing that you have, and it's also, like, people sometimes use music as a way of, like, it, it helps them feel like they're heard or seen or valued or just human. Yeah, and it it plays so much into the mental health too. Especially mm -hmm. if I want to be soothed, I, I would play that composition, but 
but speaking of like i don't i don't know if you ever do but like occasionally i would still listen to acapella like gospel yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i do and i do i even sometimes go look up amish church music really yeah i yeah i tell yeah. i tell them my partners if you catch me listening to acapella gospel hymns i am not in a good place don't yeah don't yeah. even ask you don't want to know no i'm not in a good way if that happens which is do you know it used to always be that way i don't know how long you've been out i've been um i've been out for like 19 years oh okay um, i've been out for nine i think oh yeah, yeah. got a decade yeah. on me Hey, it is what it is. But anyways, like, I I mean, it used to be that way where it was like, if I'm listening to that, I'm in a bad place. Don't don't talk to me. Like, there's still like yeah. one song that is like that. Mm -hmm. um, but typically, like, sometimes it, it really just depends. Like, you can just look at my face and tell, like, you know, my resting bitch face is is great. You know, mm -hmm. it's just always okay. present. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And as long as it's present and I'm listening to like that kind of stuff, then probably blah, 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 I'm, I'm in a bad place. But like, I, I would say in the last like five years, it's really gotten a lot better to the point where like, I, it'll, it'll like, it'll just be soothing to me. Like it's so it? dumb. Like it's comforting. Like I wouldn't even say it's dumb. It's just, it makes sense because that's how like we sought comfort as like children. And now as adults, we have to rediscover like what brings ourselves comfort and what shed that which does not resonate within us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I can see it bringing comfort. Like I, I, I will listen to, for example, Pentatonics. Um, mm -hmm. They're a great group. And obviously acapella, but it's not the acapella that we were familiar with. Oh, no. No, not remotely. So, like, listening to their acapella of gospel hymns is actually comforting me. Yeah. Or or even instrumental versions of, of, of gospel hymns. But if it's just acapella gospel hymns, it's not. It's not a good thing. Yeah. 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 So, I think it's, it's also, like, again, like, individual dependent because we all have different coping skills and we all have different ways we utilize things to help us be okay in the aftermath of all of that so anyways moving on let's talk about do you have any favorite pictures of you because you've mentioned like having so many pictures taken like um so what i do is uh, after every shoot, when I receive the photos, I go through them and put hearts on them so that they're in my favorites album. And I have a few. Now, some of them I might have only hearted because I'm like, oh, I want to post that later. But um, I'd say each shoot probably has a favorite photo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but to pick from to pick from any one of them, I, I can't say... Um, I couldn't say what my favorite photo was. I still, I still like some of the original portfolio photos pretty good. I, I almost put one of them up for the side by side comparison. So I do think like some of my original portfolio photos are some of the best. 
even though I mm-hmm. looked like the scariest in them. Like I had no idea what I was doing. And you can see the progression in my photos alone. Like like the first photo shoot, the uncomfortability in my face to like say the most recent ones. You can see the progression at, in my modeling skills, I guess. Learning how to pose, learning how to put my face and all of that. Do you think that as you did more modeling, you became more accepting of your body and yourself? Yeah, it. So, so the journey to loving myself, my body, obviously has been a struggle. I used to be um, close to two hundred pounds. Like I've lost sixty some pounds, and and actually that that weight gain and weight loss was directly related to to being silenced and suppressed in in the Mennonites and as soon as I left and started doing things for myself and like making sure I was eating healthy of course but I I was happy and I just shed that weight immediately but um not gonna lie I did forget where I was going with that point well, I was talking about self-acceptance and how like modeling like played into that and like you know body comfort and autonomy and all of that. And yeah, I used to hate having my photos taken, especially when I was a lot heavier. I would just shy out of the pictures or try to squeeze in the right angles or whatever. But you know, I've I've done um you know nearly nude and nude photo shoots at this point. And I'm certainly comfortable with my my body. I think modeling has a large part of of that because it's seeing myself in a different way. Like just to just to imagine myself like on the cover of ink is to see myself in a different way. Because you know how you pass magazine rack and you you know you check out whoever's on the cover and and have a passing thought. Mm-hmm. But that that passing thought would be about myself if I was on the cover, and I, I would see myself in a different light, and mm-hmm. and that's what modeling has done for me. I believe is to, you know, make me more comfortable and proud of who I am, more open and authentic about it. Yeah, yeah. That sounds that sounds like it has been a great coping skill for you. Yeah, it does help surprisingly. Wow. That's pretty powerful. So what keeps you modeling? That part or something else? That part. Seeing myself in a different way. But also, I mean, I I think that's I think that's exactly what keeps me modeling, quite frankly, because I I see the photos coming through and I'm like, oh damn, like that's that looks good. That was me? Yeah, like shit i can look like that yeah so so yeah that that's probably what keeps me modeling quite frankly is 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 that seeing myself in a different way that sounds fair enough so what would you say to anybody as we bring this to a close what would you say to anybody who may be closeted or you know living a life that isn't authentically them it's the scariest thing in the world but it has to be done like you have to live authentically if you, if if you want happiness it's 
you have to just be true to yourself because other otherwise like it's not going to get better no it really doesn't yeah and you know i'd like to add to that like the the one thing to our viewers and listeners if like you are coming from that similar situation uh, being labeled as disobedient doesn't necessarily say bad things about you. Sometimes there are things that need to be broken. Traditions, silences, practices. Sometimes those things need to be broken. Marriage vows for me. I, I just want to add that. Like, you know, you're never supposed to break those in the cult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something for me to be broken. Yep. Other things are made to be built. And, you know, if you feel like you're broken, you can always put yourself back together in a way that maybe seems more fitting and more authentic to you. And I'd like to thank you for listening. And I'd like to thank you, Crystal, for being here and for sharing. I appreciate you. I appreciate all of you. And I want to thank our Patreon subscribers and the Misfit Amish for bringing this program. Have a good day. Thank you so much.